1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25 is our passage this morning. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. For the message about the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Let us pray. With the cross before us to lead behind us to defend and below us to uphold. Walk through your word with us, O God, that we may hear the word that you would say to us today, that we may hear once again the grand story and narrative of your love for all of the world and help us to respond in faithfulness, obedience, and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Billy Graham rose to national prominence in the late 1940s. He was preaching uh, a series of revival events in Los Angeles. um, And the people kept coming night after night. So Billy Graham kept preaching night after night. And people kept responding to the message and giving their lives to Jesus. And it's not that they planned on uh, doing this crusade until it ended just kept going. And so the local newspapers caught a hold of it and the national newspapers caught a hold of the story and it became this uh, huge, huge deal that everyone was talking about. Uh, So much so that in the midst of all of this wonderful work that God was doing, there was a crime boss in Los Angeles, a gangster, a mobster, who became interested in what this person from the South was doing in L.A., preaching and all of these people responding. And so he asked for an audience with Billy Graham. And Billy Graham agreed to come. And in the course of that conversation with this man of a a checkered reputation, he presented the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only was the gangster interested in the message, but he said, I want to become a Christian. And then Billy Graham explained how in order to be a Christian one must repent of one's sins and receive the love of Jesus Christ that's displayed for us on the cross. And one must change one's life so that it matches the life of Jesus. And the mobster said, now no, wait a second, wait a second. I want to be a Christian gangster. And the amazing conversion that we might have hoped would happen did not happen in that moment 
as the mobster continued to be a mobster. Perhaps he thought it was foolish to give up the power and the riches and the influence that he had, checkered that it was, in his occupation. Perhaps he thought the strength of the cross was no strength at all, being one who was accustomed to strength through violent intimidation. And so this crime figure in 1940s L.A., embodies the words of the Apostle Paul in verse 18, for the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But it's not just people who don't want to give up a life of crime. It's not just to them that the cross appears to be foolish. There's something about the cross that the wisest of the wise find foolish. Paul says in verse 22 that the Greeks desire wisdom. The Greeks were the smartest people of the ancient world, Socrates and Plato. They were really good at sitting around and thinking really big thoughts, the men at least who were allowed to do so. And they were really good at convincing others of how smart they were because not only did they spend a lot of time thinking great thoughts, but they uh, were very good at articulating their thoughts with their rhetoric, with their speeches. And so they would sit around all day and give speeches and convince one another of how smart they were. By the way, in those days, and up until early in the 20th century, people would talk and preachers would preach for hours. I'm feeling a little bit nostalgic, so we're going to be here for a while. (laughs) Because we're going to really kind of get back into history as we go for a long sermon. I'm just kidding. And Paul says to those who would focus on their human wisdom, where is the debater? Where is the wise person of the age? Has not God made (laughs) foolish the wisdom of the world through the cross? Not only people who don't want to give up a life of crime, not only people who are focused on their human wisdom think that the cross is foolish, even the faithful, many of the faithful of Jesus' day see the cross as foolish. Jesus' brothers and sister Jews of the day, many of them, not all, many of them, quite understandably are wanting and focused on a sign, a sign from God. Why is that understandable? Because God has spoken to them in the Old Testament through amazing signs in the past. Think of Moses parting the Red Sea. If you are a people, the people of God, God's chosen, and God has spoken to you in marvelous ways through these mighty acts that the Old Testament dramatizes, then of course it would be logical, natural to think of the cross as foolishness. And then there's the whole sense of what the cross was all about in those days. It was the Roman Empire saying, mess with us and this is what will happen to you. You will be on a cross. You will die an excruciating death, experiencing the shame of public execution for all of society to walk by and see how weak and foolish you are. And so it makes perfect sense for many in ancient society. Paul just talks about Jews and Greeks, but the majority of society think that cross, the crucifixion, that's how God's work gets accomplished in the world. Foolishness. And yet, and yet, 
the Gospels tell us that when the time was right for God to rescue the world, when the time was right for God to come into this creation that had fallen and was so far from what it was intended to be, when the time was right for God to defeat the power of sin and death and the devil in the world, it was not a military conquest. It was not an undeniable sign of power that no one could miss. It was not some kind of wisdom that overpowered people with how much it made sense. God enters the world in the person of a baby. Jesus of Nazareth, the baby born in the manger, taking on human flesh, lives a perfect life of perfect obedience and love to God and neighbor. And on the cross, in the weakness of the cross, takes upon Himself your sin and mine and the sin of the world and the evil of the world and the suffering and the betrayal and the hurt and the pain and the loneliness of the world bears that all into Himself on our behalf. And in the weakness of that moment, we see God's strength and we find redemption and the world finds renewal and we find the hope that is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Signs, wisdom, wonders. Yes, God does all of those kinds of things throughout the Scriptures, Old Testament and New. But when it really counts, the moment that matters most in human history, when it's time to redeem the world, God through Jesus allows Himself to be crucified. To die for you and me. For God's strength is higher, greater than our strength. God's wisdom is far greater than our wisdom. And so we are commanded, challenged, invited to look at the world through the lens of the cross. We don't look for miraculous signs, though it's wonderful when that happens. We don't look for great wisdom, even though we seek to grow wise by the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing wrong with that. But we don't focus on that. We focus the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And through His sacrifice, we find redemption and forgiveness. We find that the power of sin to mold and shape us into worse sinners than we already are is defeated. And we find the call to live a cruciform life of sacrificial love for each other and for all the world. The cross, God's strength, and wisdom on display. But here's why I think at heart those that Paul talks about in this passage and you and me and all of us struggle to see in the cross God's strength and God's wisdom. I believe that we have a very hard time admitting our own weaknesses, admitting our lack of wisdom, Admitting our lack of strength. Even though we know it's not so, we like to still deceive ourselves into thinking that we can figure it all out. We like to think that if we just work hard enough, pray hard enough, do the right things, get in the right habits, get the right people together, that we're strong enough to at least live the kinds of lives that we'll enjoy as families, as individuals. At least we'll be able to do some good things for God as a congregation. But in order to truly grasp the wisdom and the strength of the cross, we are called first to admit 
our own weaknesses, our own foolishness, our own inability to save ourselves, to fix ourselves, be the people that God has called us to be. We are all broken. We are all sinners. We are all needy people. And because of this, Jesus enters into our condition and He dies for us so that we might have life, so that we might truly, truly live. Billy Graham is one of North Carolina's greatest gifts to the world. I say as a fellow North Carolinian, don't bring up the Duke-North Carolina game last night. I don't want to hear about it. (laughs) Billy Graham may be one of my home state's greatest gifts to the nation, to the world, but but there's another gift that the Tar Heel State has given the world that is almost as close. Does anybody like Krispy Kreme donuts? Mm. (laughs) All right, you're welcome. So here's the experience of of truly enjoying a Krispy Kreme donut. In the donut shops, you see them being made. So you you don't want to see all the grease that they're fried in and cooked in, but you have to. So you see that, and then once they're cooked and once once they're out of the grease, they get on a conveyor belt. And I don't know how many people, how many people, how many donuts are on a row at a time. But let's say there's six donuts on a row, and they go along this conveyor belt, and you're able to watch this as it happens. And and they and they're cooling from from the the grease, the hot grease, and they're going along this conveyor belt, and then they go under this waterfall of glaze and sugar and all sorts of ingredients that are bad for you but that taste good. That you watch the donut baptized as it comes. <laughs> And then, and then you're again. You you're, you can watch this. And then they're they're baptized, they're glazed, and then you watch them go about five or six more feet, and they're cooled off. And then the person picks them up, puts them in your box, and off you go. Well, I was watching. We were watching uh, the conveyor belt through the window one time, and let's say there's six in a row, and I noticed that there was something going on on the inside row, and so. Every inside donut was getting tripped up in the process. And it was getting deformed and distorted. And so there were five perfectly glazed donuts and one ugly donut, ugly duckling donut that was just making way. And it went through about six, seven, eight, nine, ten rows. So there were about ten distorted donuts. And it didn't take long. One of the women who were working there noticed the problem, corrected the problem so that we had six good donuts going through. And then she did something that just broke my heart broke my heart. She took the six, seven, or eight deformed donuts, she picked them up, and she threw them in the trash. I wanted to say, no! No! I will eat them. I will pay for them. Give them to me. And you and me and all of our fellow creatures are distorted We are misshaped. Our sin and the sin and the struggles of this world puts our lives in forms that are not what God intended. And this whole creation that God has made, and we human beings who make up the societies that are a part of it, we're out of whack, we're out of joint, we're, 
We don't look like we were made to look. And God doesn't throw us away and start over. But God enters into our condition in love. And through the cross, the pain and the strength and the wisdom of the cross, God makes a way for our sins to be forgiven and for our lives to be reshaped and reformed and renewed. And we begin in this life by the power of the Holy Spirit to look more like we're supposed to look, made to look. And one day when Jesus returns, we will be like Him for we will see Him as He is. But until that day, we as God's people who embrace the foolishness of the cross, yes, we follow One who died to show God's love and God's strength and God's wisdom. We embrace it as the wisdom and the power of God to defeat the power of sin in us and in the world. And embracing our weakness, embracing our brokenness, embracing our misshaped lives, we then are able to embrace more fully the distorted, mangled, misshaped body of our suffering Lord as He died on the cross to forgive us, to make us whole, to make us free. Sisters and brothers, fellow human creatures whose lives are so misshapen, look to the cross where the misshapen, pained body of Jesus Christ died so that you and I might live and look to the empty tomb where the cross was vindicated, where Jesus' victory was made sure, and where we participate in His victory over sin, over death, and over all that works against the purposes of God in the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.